Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. I think there's this notion in, in marketing that we have to create everything from the mindset of our audience. And that's that in my mind, yes, it's it's true on the surface. But I think when you think about that a little bit, that's a really hard thing to do. I'd much rather solve the problem for one person. Because when you think about how do I help one person in, in one way, I think it ultimately will apply to many. Oh, what's up, man? Happy uh, birthday month. Um, yeah, it's birthday, birthday month. Birthday. Yeah, And it also is. happy book launch month. Have mm-hmm. it right next to me. But so I, I'm ex- I know it's a good Scorpio season is always a good season. I love Scorpio season. I just want to start off with just how do you think about like what is great content? What is quality content? Like what is the framework of that before we get into like the more in-depth stuff? Wow. You really just started with a softball, Daniel. That. <laughs> how do I think about great content? I mean, I think about it as in as having three specific attributes, which I talked about in the last book, and I also uh, sort of blow up a little bit more in this book. Number one, it is inspired in some way, sometimes by data, sometimes creatively, uh, sometimes both or often both. Secondly, it has pathological empathy for the person you are trying to meet to reach. So in other words, it has real value for them. It looks at the world through their eyes and not necessarily yours. And finally, that it has some element of usefulness to it. It is useful in some way. I got into a conversation on Twitter this week where someone was saying, well, doesn't that apply only to B2B brands? Because, you know, in our B2B focus is often around education and thought leadership. So that is kind of useful content. But I actually think it applies to B2C content, too, because if something is useful, it could just mean that, you know, we enjoy it. It's fun. It's it's something that we value in some way. So those are the three elements that I think of when I think about what makes for quality content. A very big question with maybe a very broad answer, but at a high level, that's how I think about it. I like how it's set in a framework first, and then we could dive into like each element of the framework. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the most important ones that I love is the empathy part, because I feel mm-hmm. like understanding your audience is like the key to great content. So like, mm-hmm. what are some things that you do and you do this really well because I, I read your newsletter. I've read your book. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's not like written like, like I know you've said before, but like not written like I'm reading an essay back in high school. It's like mm-hmm. written like I'm, I'm, you're, you're talking to me. So how do you think about like getting in the, the audience head when you're creating content? First of all, I think it's really hard to get into the mindset of an audience. And what I mean by that is it's, you can't, I mean, you can't get into like, there's what, 97 people here right now. I can't get into the mindset of 97 people, but what I can do is understand the world from one person's point of view. And so I think there's this notion in, in marketing that we have to create everything from the mindset of our audience. And that's that in my mind, yes, it's, it's true on the surface, But I think when you think about that a little bit, that's a really hard thing to do. I'd much rather solve the problem for one person 
Because when you think about how do I help one person in, in one way, I think it ultimately will apply to many, right? So I think the first thing is to think about one person that you are writing to, that you are creating for, whose problems you are solving. And, you know, of course, that person has to be representative of the audience. But I think if you can think about one person and, and kind of get to know them a little bit, like think about the world through their eyes, try on their skin, if you will, I think it becomes a lot easier to do a couple things. First of all, create content that is truly useful to them. The other thing it does is it kind of loosens up your voice a little bit. It allows you to think about just communicating with one person at one time instead of an audience. You know, I lead teams um, at Marketing Profs and very often when we sit down to create a piece of content and whether it's a landing page or an email or a blog post on our site, everybody starts off like very like stiff limbed, like we're typing like this, like trying to engage an audience. But I think if you drop that audience persona, instead think about one person, it just, it changes the way you communicate. It changes your voice. It makes it looser and, and much more warm and approachable. It's kind of like writing a letter to mm -hmm. someone. It's like, you know, and you, that's how I think of especially like newsletters. Like when I first started my newsletter, I said like marketing besties up front. And now I just say marketing bestie because it's mm -hmm. just like, I want to feel like I'm writing to a marketing bestie, not to like the besties. Especially in an email newsletter, but I think it applies more broadly to content as well. Because like, think about it, like there's only one person who is reading your content at one time. It's not like you're performing on a stage and you're, you know, you're, you're doing a live reading of your blog post. Like that's a ridiculous concept, right? And so I think the more that we can really hone in on that one person who we're trying to help, the more engaging our content is. So yeah, I think it absolutely applies in email newsletters. Um, I've talked about this before. Actually, I think you and I talked about this, but you know, the key to a engaging email newsletter is to worry less about the news and more about the letter. So focus on the letter and not the news. Companies, brands, I find, tend to think about the news much more than they think about the letter. One question I had for you, because I know you wrote the, came out with a new version of your book, but I want to ask, like, what are some things that when you wrote the book, back in the day have your pers what perspectives have changed since you wrote, wrote you know back in the day was only eight years ago so you make it yeah, sound I mean, like <laughs> it was a hundred years ago well, i'll tell you what's changed daniel is like elderly Anne popping in here i wrote that book 50 years ago um uh, a lot has changed, and that's essentially why I decided to come out with a second edition of book, which surprised even me. Like, you know, to be honest with you, I went into the second edition thinking that, like, before I even wrote a single word, I really thought that I was going to just clean up the language a little bit, update some examples, get rid of some things that weren't relevant anymore, maybe add in some things that I've thought about more recently or incorporate the way that my thinking has evolved around some aspects of, of marketing. Um, so I thought I would do all that. I thought it would be a pretty easy task. Then I started to read the, edition, the first edition of it. Here's the first edition to give you a visual. Um, I started reading this book and I realized a few things. Number one, a whole lot in marketing has changed in the past eight years. In some ways it does feel like, you know, 50 years ago <laughs> because it just, you know, 58 uh, years ago was 2014, and so many things were, were different then. You know, not only from a platform point of view, like things didn't exist now that exist, 
didn't exist then that exists now. Uh, social channels have certainly evolved. Email newsletters, I think, are were important, but they're even more critical here in, in 2022. So platforms and, and technologies evolved. Um, but more than that, you know, I think that our approach in marketing has definitely shifted too. And part of that was brought about by the pandemic. I think that like the things that we just talked about, you know, that core attribute of empathy for an audience, I think is so critical now. Um, so all that was important before, but I think there's that even now, like it's in, it's in greater relief, um, completely rewriting the book. I didn't just, you know, do a quick dusting and vacuuming and spraying some Febreze on the first edition and thinking, okay, well, all, like that was fresh. That was clean. We're, we're good to go. You know, instead I ended up spending a lot of time rewriting literally every single word in that book. The, the bones of it are similar in some ways, like some of the chapter headings are, are similar, but the language that I use is very different and the things that I talk about are very different. So yeah, so a lot has changed in marketing. I think that it's imperative on us in marketing, especially in, in 2022, to build trust with them, to, to know us and, and like us before they will buy from us. That's always been true, but I think it's especially true now. And the second thing that's changed is, you know, in a world of content abundance, you know, in a world where increasingly over the past eight years, we are all understanding need to, you know, A, use digital marketing tools and tactics and platforms, but also where content has become much more central to most businesses that, that I talk to. Um, so in that world, that means that we've really had to up like just playing the SEO game with content doesn't work anymore. Instead, I think we need to truly use that opportunity to build relationships. It's not about the number of followers you have or the number of subscribers or any of that. I think it's about the quality of those of those people who are connected to you because those ultimately will be your, your best buyers. And I think it's, it's, in, it's definitely true in B2B, but I, I think it's just true in marketing more generally too. You've been preaching about content since you started um, and marketing props and stuff like that. And now it's like actually becoming like the foundation of a lot of businesses. Like, mm -hmm. what did you see when you started it that saw that content was the way to connect? And how long did it get for you to like resonate, get people to like catch on and say like content should be the center of their organization? So my first book was Content Rules. And that was about the evolution of content within marketing. That rules came out in 2010. So that was, we're, we're inching up to 50 years there, Daniel. It's like, that was like 12 years ago, right? That content rules came out. Um, <laughs> and content rules was, was not the first book, but one of the first books to talk about how important and central content is to a marketing function within an organization. Around that same time, my good friend Joe Polizzi was launching Content Marketing World, which was, you know, is the flagship event for content marketers. So I think that the confluence of, of those things sort of cemented in my brain that, you know, yes, this idea that content is so critical to marketing is 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 like a thing. It's not just a um, it's not just my point of view or my perspective. It started actually what really put this idea in my head is, well, two things. First of all, my background is in journalism and a lot of marketers come out of the journalism world. But one of the things that is so true in journalism is that ultimately the journalist, the writer, the 
producer is always in service to the audience, right? We always want to serve the audience. We always want to think about things from their point of view. And that's a mindset that I think I've carried with me into marketing. And I never really realized how much I truly have embodied that um, until I started thinking about content. And I thought, God, you know, the way that I've been thinking about, you know, being the chief content officer of First Click Z and now Marketing Profs has always been in service to the audience. And I realized that increasingly that's exactly what all of us in, in marketing need to do as well is be in service to the audience, not just be thinking about how do we sell our products and services. I mean, yes, we're in marketing because we want to do that. But the truth is that the more that we serve our audience, you know, that, that core belief around content marketing, that the, way, the more that we are incredibly useful to an audience, the more that they will build that relationship with us, they will trust us, and they will look to us. So that's deep background. I read uh, David Merriman's New Rules of Marketing and PR, and I want to say I read that in like, man, it was a while ago, 2007, 2008. I'm not sure when the first edition of that book came out. So that that was like a pre-foundation. That was like the thing that that made me think about content. And then the more that I, I had conversations, you know, with other with other leaders, uh, with Joe, with David, with with people who have truly been at the forefront of content, um, that's kind of where I, I realized that like this is a thing. So yeah, that's just kind of some deep background on it. But it's taken a while, right? I mean, that book came out in 2010. I published uh, Everybody Writes in 2014. And here we are in 2022. And I don't feel anymore that I'm having to prove the idea of, of content, at least with most marketers, because I think it's much more embedded in the organization now. But yeah, for a while, like just to your point, it, it, it was kind of siloed to, you know, out in left field somewhere. We had our, our little merry band of like content marketers over <laughs> here, like doing, doing their little furtive things in the corner. Meanwhile, marketing was over here just like doing their thing. And so increasingly, we are, we are seeing those two things coalesce. I think they're coming together. But you know, I still have, I still see still see evidence that it's it's not quite there yet um, within some organizations anyway. How do you get inspiration for your writing? Like, because a lot of people always come to me is like, how do I create content? Like, I don't have enough ideas for content. Like, how do I do that? That's question one. And the next question would be more like, how do you think about, I mean, this book, you re basically repurpose the whole book, but that's like the new way of like content now is like a lot of people are just like getting onto like they should repurpose like long form content and stuff and make mm -hmm. it new. So how did you, like, how did you think about taking it and, and spinning it up to make it brand new? Why not just like write a whole new everybody writes? <laughs> yeah. It's funny you ask that question because I actually thought to myself about midway through when I was like crying and really behind on deadlines and my publisher was like harassing me um with love in their heart but they were definitely like hello when is when are you gonna when are you gonna deliver this um i actually had a, many thoughts at the time just completely written a, a whole new book and i don't know maybe i should have but i also felt like that everybody writes is so embedded in and so many marketing departments right now. Uh, so many colleges and universities use it that I just thought, you know what, like, I love this book. And I just thought that, you know what, it deserves more in a way. And I just wanted it to, I wanted it to live its best life, really. So that's why I decided to, to redo it. Um, just going back to your original question, though, just about like, where do ideas come from? I mean, you know, for me, honestly, they, they come from anywhere. 
they come from conversations with customers. They they come from conversations I have in hallways at events. They come from social media when I'm like just interacting there. Uh, they come from newsletter subscribers. I actively solicit feedback from my newsletter subscribers because I want to know like what's on your brain. Like why wh when when they first signed up for my newsletter, I asked them two questions. You know, what do you hope to learn here? Gives me a lot of information about what people care about and how did you find me just because I want to know who my, who is recommending me, who my influencers are, so to speak. And so, yeah, it's just a, it's a constant process of listening and act, you know, actively asking people in your community, in your audience, your prospects, your customers, sales, customer service, all of it. The hardest thing to do is to, as a business owner, or as a marketer, is to think, I have a newsletter deadline today, and I better sit down and write the newsletter. What am I going to write about? I'm like, that is just impossible. And that's just, uh, it's a task, right? And so I think the best thing to do is to keep a running list of, of topics, ideas, and things that you think will resonate with your audience or questions that they've asked you, and then just blow them up in your content. When you get an idea, how do you do you write it down right when you hear the idea or like how do you keep track of those ideas? I kind of have a, a workflow, which, you know, it's pretty rudimentary, but it works for me, which is that I keep a, a list in a notebook, like longhand. I have a notebook that's specifically just for ideas, you know, things that I'm thinking about, half-baked things that I think maybe I want to explore someday in one way or another, maybe as a speech, maybe as a blog post, maybe as a newsletter, maybe as a tweet, like can be any of those things, just just ideas that I have. Some of that comes from, as I, as I just described, like things that people tell me, conversations that I've overheard, email, email, emails from, from new subscribers, that kind of thing. So that, that's one way. The next step for that is I put it into I use just, you know, Google products just as a way to kind of manage my life. So I put that into a spreadsheet and literally just keep a list. And then I sort of move them around depending on what my plan is with them. Sometimes I'll, I'll build them out with notes next to them or ideas or things that connect to one another. And then from there, I'll just decide kind of where, where it best fits. You know, like I said, sometimes it's a speech, sometimes it's a newsletter, sometimes it's a book, like it just depends, but there's kind of a, a laddered approach, I guess. One thing that I, I wanted to get your opinion on is uh, you, you're really good at infusing humor into your writing. So how do you think about infusing it? When do you start infusing it? Is it like a natural thing or is it something planned? Like how do you infuse it into writing? That's a big difference between the first edition and the second is that I kind of allowed myself to just be me a little bit more and um and allowed myself to lean into the humor aspect far more than i did in the first edition so to me like you know humor comes from your own weird interesting view of the world like we all sort of have this like secret side you know that we like we see something and and we think a certain way and it just makes us laugh or it's like something that that triggers an internal thought so sometimes my humor just comes from giving voice to that, like shining a light on those things that I think that I, that are a little bit of just like an, an oddball aside, you know, <laughs> you know, um, in terms of the process that like when it comes around, um, I write four drafts of everything that I write for the most part, like anything longer form, not 
I don't write four drafts of a tweet necessarily. Um, sometimes I do. But I always write four drafts of newsletters, blog posts, books, I mean anything, chapters within books. And the reason why I do that is because the first draft is very much just a list of things, a list of ideas. The second draft is when I start to like just kind of shape it into something, like kind of mold it into something like it's a piece of raw clay that I'm that I'm crafting. The third one is when I think about things from the point of view of my reader. And I, I call that like opening the door to the reader and inviting them into the room. So writing from their point of view and truly understanding like, is this something that I think will make sense? Like, is this too much in my own head or do I need to explain it a little bit? Am I suffering from the curse of knowledge here? Like, am I not explaining things enough or am I explaining things too much? Are there boring parts, all of that? And the fourth draft is my most favorite draft. Fourth draft is where I do add some color, some humor. I try to make it entertaining. You can't start with entertaining. You can't start with funny and enjoyable because like that's too much pressure. Like you've got you've to ease into that. And so to me, like that fourth draft is the point where I have the most fun in my writing. It's like it's the point. It's the only only section, by the way, that I don't kind of dread a little bit because I really do let myself just have a little bit of fun there humor is like a kind of inside wink to the audience, like a nod to them, like I'm acknowledging something to the audience. And I think like that's probably specific to me. There are very many ways of thinking about, you know, humor in writing. Um, but that's how it, it kind of plays out in, in my work. Yeah, I kind of like that. It kind of sounds like connecting the dots, like mm -hmm. eventually. Like, so you write down the ideas and then you connect the next dots and then the final dots are this like now let me bring in some real world funniness and real world experiences to the ideas I've had. And then yeah. you connect those two dots without like the foundation of the, the dots of your writing. It's hard mm -hmm. to infuse that entertainment in there. Yeah. I just want to like respond to you, um, Ian, where you were when the, the book that I was referencing David Meerman Scott's book is uh, the new rules of marketing and PR. That's the name of the book. So you can find it. I think he's now on, Gosh, uh, he's way past his second edition. He's on like, I don't know, like his eighth edition or something crazy. But um, but it's a very foundational book around marketing. Like maybe if you've been in marketing a while, you 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 know a lot of the ideas and the concepts in the book. Um, but, you know, when it first came out in 2008, it was it was really groundbreaking for me because it flipped the way that I thought about marketing. I used to think about marketing as being very much, you know, a broadcast and trying to break through and trying to get people, get into the the heads and the minds and the and get in front of the eyeballs of people. But it's the it's the book that really shifted my thinking to make me understand that it is really more about building an audience and building trust. So yeah, that was that's the foundation. I always say that without David's book, had I not read that book in like 2008, I probably wouldn't be in marketing today. I mean, maybe I would have come across those ideas someplace else, but it, it really was the book that made me think like, oh, you know what? What I My work as a journalist, as an editor, is exactly what all of us in, in marketing increasingly need to be doing. I have a question from Amanda here, and she asked you, how do you get over writer's block? I don't actually think that writer's block is a thing. Sorry, Amanda. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I think typically when we say that we have writer's block, it's usually because we are doing two things. Number one, we're putting too much pressure on ourselves for that 
first draft for the things that, that we want to say. Um, and so the way that I get past that is just to produce what I call the ugly first draft, right? Just just get it out of your head, get it onto the page. It doesn't matter if you're writing in complete sentences. It doesn't matter if there are typos everywhere. It doesn't matter if like you're not even using punctuation. Like it just doesn't matter. Just let it go. Because very often it's like we, we expect too much. Like we expect it to come out and be like, great and it's just not gonna be like it's you have to you have to look at the process you know the process is step one write something ugly like just write it dirty just get it out and that's the most important piece of it really because without that none of the other drafts can happen so that's the the first way that i think writers block so-called writers block um manifests so i think we need to let go of that the second way that it manifests is is kind of the question that you asked a second ago daniel which is you know, what do we write? I don't know what to write. Not sure where to start. And that's where I think keeping a running list of, of what we want to talk about, what our audience cares about in marketing um, can really help. So just pick something and, uh, and run with it. Another question I have here is from Lauren and she's asking you is what are some easy ways to create a lot of content that's engaging? Oh my Lord. Okay. First of all, there are no easy ways. Um, <laughs> it's just, I don't like the word easy paired with content. I'm sorry. I say this with love and respect in my heart. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus on creating a lot of content. I would focus on one channel at one time and think about engaging an audience there. Because to me, that's, you get into trouble when you start thinking too big with a content marketing program. And when you think about just too much, you know, it's much better, I think, to focus on the quality of what you're creating and create something that your audience really needs and values and will love. Like, start there. Don't start with, I need a lot. I just yeah. want to comment to uh, flagship event, Ashley, for content marketers, content marketing world. Happens every year uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Actually, you know what? It's not in Cleveland next year. I just realized that it's been around since 2010, I think. So it's been for, for 12 years up until this year. It was in Cleveland, Ohio. It's in the fall. In 2023, it'll be in Washington, D.C. Uh, in September, I think. But if you go to contentmarketingworld.com, you can see it. I've spoken there every single year. Like it's, it's like if you are a content marketer, it's really the place to be. Yeah, I was going to add on to what you just said about the writing at a channel at a time, people forget that every channel has its own voice and language and needs to be respected as that. Because mm -hmm. when you're thinking of broadly, like how am I going to take this content and put it on LinkedIn and then make it a blog post and then make it a podcast and make it a webinar, the bones, like you said, of like your thing are the same, but how you write it, the framework, and how to make it engaging is so different from LinkedIn to Twitter to blog posts to podcasts. So mm -hmm. um, I just like how you put that. Like, just think of like one channel at a time. Nail that. Nail that down. Yeah. I know this is a broad question, but Mylinda asked, "What are some copywriting tips that you have?" My most favorite copywriting tip, and I think it applies applies broadly, is to share the value of a solution, whatever your solution is for the individual, not the features and benefits of it, right? So don't just talk about the tool, talk about why it matters to your customer. 
that's like the, the number one rule of copywriting is just to, to speak directly to them and speak to their aspirational self. So what is this thing that you're marketing, that you're selling, that you're, that you would love to get into their hot little hands? Like what will it do for them? So that's really where you want to start your, any copy that you're writing, whether it's copy on a landing page or, or whether it's a, um, product description, right? What will it do for your customer? Not just like what it is or what it does. This is a good question. I want to get your thoughts on this. There's been a rise of like AI tools, writing copy and, and writing content. What are your thoughts on that and how it's going to progress into like the content world? Yeah. The reality is that, you know, AI tools and platforms are increasingly part of marketing and, I think very often people think, oh, you must you must hate them because you're such a a writer, right? You're such a purist when it comes to writing. But the reality is like, I don't, like I'm a realist. I know that these tools and platforms are going to increasingly be part of marketing. I mean, that's just a reality. And it's silly to say that, you know, we shouldn't use them or they shouldn't be part of it. It's like, that's like, that ship has sailed. You know, I think it's it's not a point of view that I would ever take think that they are, they can be very useful. Like I use an AI tool every single day. I use Grammarly as my kind of backup, you know, as like that copy editor who, who like sits on my shoulder and tells me when I'm sounding a little bit too stiff or that I'm, that this, this thing that I'm posting on LinkedIn just doesn't sound warm and friendly. And so you know, I think that that is a very like basic use of AI. What we're going to see increasingly is AI tools and, and platforms helping marketers like, like you and, and like me do our jobs more efficiently sometimes and, and very often better, allowing us to do them better, in other words. But the thing is, like, these tools are not going to replace marketers, content marketers, writers. I don't believe that they ever will. I think that instead the opportunity is for us to use them to help us do our jobs. So for example, an AI platform might help us write the first draft of a blog post based on some coordinates that we put in, based on what it's been able to learn about our brand voice. But ultimately it's up to us as writers to then take what the AI tool or platform has written and truly make it our own. And that's where like all the things that we talked about, like, adding humor, adding perspective, telling stories, creating content in a way that's, that's truly engaging for an audience. It speaks directly to one person. Like, I think that's what we can add to AI. I don't think that you can put an AI tool or platform into the hands of someone who doesn't know how to write or who doesn't care about writing and have it create anything that's truly engaging. Some basic stuff, sure, but anything that is truly like going to be special for our audience like i don't i don't think that that's ever that's ever going to happen without the writer being involved in the process marketing tools are as good as the person who's running the marketing tools Mm -hmm. it's like the marketing tools help make marketing easier Um, sometimes harder to be honest but at the same time it's the people who are behind the scenes putting it together thinking of it strategically that make the tools run not not the actual tools themselves mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah exactly what are some like new topics that you are exploring like memes like like news i know newsletters have been around a while but now they're becoming like the thing everybody's creating a newsletter what are some like 
new channels that you are exploring right now um, for content production. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned one of them. Um, you know, newsletters have been around for a very long time, and like I wouldn't say they're they're new necessarily, but most brands are not really embracing the opportunity fully with email newsletters. You know, email is it is the channel that you know, still to this day, that still drives the most business or, or drives the no, most actual revenue for companies. And so I was thinking curious when companies are not really using that opportunity to its full advantage. And when I say newsletters, when I'm talking about email newsletters, I'm, I'm making a distinction between like email marketing, like direct response email and email newsletters. So I can count on one hand, maybe even like half of one hand, the number, the number of, especially in the, in the business to business space, B2B email newsletters that I actually, that I like and that I read and that I think are interesting. And so that's interesting, isn't it? It's like, why, why aren't we using that opportunity? Instead, we're, we're creating lots of, of crazy things. Like we're wondering, oh, should we be on all these social channels? Should we be on TikTok? What should we be doing on TikTok? What should our TikTok strategy be? And like, no shade to TikTok. Like, I think it can be a great fit for so many brands. But I also think that ultimately what you want to be doing on these social channels is ultimately converting people into your own database, right? You want to be converting people into either your, your email list or, or, your, or your email newsletter um, because it's, it's like, it's the ultimate nurturing tool. And it's like, I still think it's the best one that, that we have in marketing. There's a lot of new things that are... Uh, that are in the in the book, but it's more about it's it's more about the the approach that I think I've that that has shifted for me. Like in the first edition of the book, I talk about thirteen things that marketers write that most marketers or most marketing departments are in charge of. Um, and in the second edition, that's now expanded to twenty things that marketers write. And that's because you know our our jobs and our responsibilities have only expanded in the past eight years. And one of those things is email newsletters. And I spend a lot of time talking about the importance of rethinking that with a very specific approach that I try to give, not a prescription for, but at least some some solid guidelines around. Someone had a good question. For like less experienced copywriters, content people, like how do you think about the framework of starting to write that first ugly draft to the, the second one? Like what is like, the bones of it like i know you said put your ideas on paper but do you put it in a sort of structured way how do you think about like the foundation of it you know like if i was coaching a a younger writer a less experienced writer on creating content i mean i think that the process is the same it's just very often for a younger it helps to have a, um, a more seasoned collaborator who's helping them through some of those stages is giving them feedback on things be less experienced about that section that I talked about, like inviting the, inviting the reader into the room and, and actually getting them to shift their thinking from what they want to say to why it matters to a reader, a customer, a prospect. And so I think that, that there's an opportunity there to, to sort of coach that, that younger writer through that process. I think what you, most things have a foundation. I think that lots of writing comes with experience and actually, like I think you say it in your book too, is like building that, that writing muscle. Like you can't go to the gym and 
pick up heavy weights until you've done a couple like a couple <laughs> yeah. lighter weights first. Uh, so I know we have a couple minutes left, but I, I think there's one other question here and then I'll, I'll, I'll go. But also everybody before that, you should go pick up this book. It's, it's legit. It will help you become a better writer. It will teach you more than I've seen any other book teach you how to write. And also it gives you confidence for writers, not a natural writer. Like for me, I had trouble when I was young because I, I my t- English teachers were saying like, I'm a bad writer. Like I got mm. not the, I had like B's and C's, but I never got that A every time I was like, you have bad grammar, you bad this. And now I'm writing a newsletter and people are saying like, oh, you're a great writer. And it's just mm-hmm. such a, like a difference of like, yeah. between the audience as a teacher and an audience as like in marketing, it's a total different thing. So a lot of people get, get stuck and think that they're a bad writer just from like that yeah. I would say trauma as a kid yeah um, yeah exactly yeah you just said that word and I think that is so true I hear this all the time that people say to me like I'm just not a good writer and very often what they mean by that is like exactly what you just said it's like someone told them that they were they were terrible at grammar or that they you know they they had run on sentences or there's some like trauma that they suffered at the hands of a teacher or an adult in some way who who was set it into their head that it's um, that that they're a bad writer, and I hear this all the time. Like you'd be surprised at how many people tell me that. Like I feel uncomfortable with grammar because someone told me at some point that I'm not good with grammar, and you know all that can be learned. You know you can, and especially now, like we we're just talking about AI. Like in the t- in the age of AI and the age of robot editors like Grammarly, like Hemingway app, like a lot of them out there that you know all that stuff can be learned like you can figure that figure out is how to tell a story in a way that truly engages an audience um understanding what the and then putting it together with a sense of care you know that's actually what good writing is it's not about the grammar it's not about that at all um so yeah when people tell me that i i kind of hear it you know what i mean there's way too many like adult onset writers who have like been like who have somehow just just embedded this like sense of trauma in their uh in their lives like look we are all in marketing like our job is literally communication and so yeah we are all writers and it's like you just gotta like kick that notion that you're not a writer like to the side because you know you are yeah one last question and then i'm gonna give you the stage um (laughs) to um, talk about this book. What are what are some suggestions of changing things up when you're cranking out content so much and have lost the vibe? I think the best thing to do is just to, to step away if you can, just walk away. And I'm not sure if you mean like if you're sitting down for a day and, and you are just like cranking through tons of content, trying to load it up for, for somebody, um, but stepping away, just getting away from whatever you're doing and, and just, you know, start to move your body, just get away from it in a situation like that. That's what I would do. But if you're talking more existentially, like, like you feel like you some kind of, uh, of reset or, or inspiration more generally, more globally, you know, what I do is have conversations with other people who are uh, of a similar perspective with me. Um, I have a couple of, I would, ability partner more than that there there are people who share a sensibility and mindset with 
who can give me a pep talk when I need it, who can remind me, like, why are we doing this to begin with? Um, I mean, I think just relying on your, on your community is important there. The other thing you can do is just buy a copy of the book because I try very hard to empower you in a different way as a marketer to create content that you truly love. And so, I don't know, maybe it'll help you. Yeah, I want to go talk. I want to give you a little bit to talk about the book, what's what's new, what's in the book, and also where could people find the book? Because I think I read the book a few years ago and it changed the way I thought about writing. So I want you to give you a little bit of talk where people can find it because I think it will change a lot of marketers' minds on writing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think we talked a lot about what's in the book. I mean, I think one of the things we didn't talk about I think is really important is I give you a framework for starting at the point where you have an idea, you have this this germ of an, an idea, of a kernel of an idea, and I invite you to then take that idea and create some content about it, uh, around it, through a series of very specific steps. There are steps that I take that are, we talked a little bit about, but, but there's a whole process around it where I try to help marketers through that ideation process. So you've got the idea, and then how do you actually bring it to life? So that's a, that's a brand new element of the book that, that wasn't in the first edition. So that's the first thing that I would say about it. And the second thing is just, you know, I, I hope you enjoy it. Um, there's, it's a funny thing about writing a book because I feel, you know, I feel so close to the work. It's very much a reflection of me and my point of view. But the reality is now it's, it's not mine anymore. Like it's out in the world and it's, it's yours. And so, you know, that's all I could do is say, I hope you like it. And you can buy it wherever books are sold. All right. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. And I think yeah, there's been you. some great, great things. Thanks for joining. And thanks to the audience for joining. It's been awesome. Thanks for the great questions. And yeah, see everybody later. This will be published on as a recording on a podcast. It's going to be everywhere. So I'll send it out after we get everywhere. that. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere in the world. Well, you're awesome, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, we will talk soon. And thank you everyone for chiming in. I'm I tried to read your comments, but it's like, I only have one brain, so it's hard to <laughs> go back and forth, but I tried. <laughs> okay, well, see you later. All right, thank Bye, you so everybody. much. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.